0: Oh, she doesn't like microphones at all, do you? It's okay. You're like your dad. You're going to ham it up in front of the microphone, aren't
1: you? Mm-hmm. Aww. Aww, you're just like, Daddy, it's oh, okay.
0: Like <laughs> someone's recording. I need to do something. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's up? Are you wanting a burger?
1: It does look like she
0: Yeah, she's like, hell yeah, dude. Huh? It looks awesome.
1: What do you think, kid?
0: going be the best podcast ever.
1: <laughs> Babies and murder, it's fine.
0: Babies, murder, and food. We are uh, putting it all together today.
1: Oh my god. This is really a mom troop crime podcast. Aww. It's
0: just... I'm not a mom, but I'm going to be on here anyway.
1: She said it's fine.
0: Alright, cool. Alright, so if you're hearing this, if you're hearing my voice right now, you're listening to our new podcast called Main Corpse. Which is so fucking cool. Thank you, Kelsey, for coming up with that. Got you. That's so badass. So what we're going to do here um, is we are going, well, we're going to do three things, all right? We're going to introduce ourselves every single time. That's definitely going to happen. My name's Matt. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts, and I'm with... Kelsey. Kelsey, all right. And we are going to be talking about food, and, and then, if we have time, murder. But food is the main thing here because I'm I'm already super hungry. So we're going to try to do this um, every two weeks-ish. Don't hold us to it. Um, and you can expect new episodes every Monday around 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So follow us on Twitter for sure. Maybe Facebook if we make one. Um, and you will get links to um, all of our podcasts and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, we're from West Virginia and we're going to tell you about murder. And That's, food. That's the that's the long and short of it right there. I think the food we're going to go with every week is going to be a local place. And we started with a local place from Grafton, West Virginia today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Leonard's. Um, Kelsey has not had a lot of Leonard's food. I have. So I went with something I've never tried, which is their... How do you say this? So Brittany's sitting in the room. She's not really going to be part of the podcast, but I just made her part of it. Brittany, how do you pronounce this? Gochujang. Gochujang. I think <laughs> I said that right. It's a Korean style hoagie. And, holy shit, it looks good. Okay. It's uh, chicken, so it's grilled chicken, and like, what else on it? Like, peppers, onions, and uh, gochujang sauce. And it's really spicy and really fucking good. I've only had it one time before. I took a bite of one of Brittany's hoagies. Um, but, Kelsey, what did you get?
1: Um, I got a burger. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's got the gochujang and... It looks like pepper jack cheese, um, jalapenos, and I'm really excited to dig into it. Yeah, it looks super. Their burgers are
0: fucking awesome.
1: I feel, um, what is it? Oh, Triple X.
0: It's a Triple X burger. You're totally right. I couldn't remember the name of it either. So, um, yeah, it's a Triple X burger. So, we're going to try these. I Like I said, I've had Leonard's a lot. So, we're going to get our stomachs full of delicious food and then probably lose half of it because the story I'm about to tell you guys oh, yeah. is fucked up. Um, I just want to throw that out there. So, let's eat. Alright. And wait. if you hear a baby, it's because there's a baby in here. So.
1: She's all about the murder. She is. Alright. Oh my god, it's so good. This burger is amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't put enough sauce on it. That sauce is killer. Um... Your husband
0: would die if he tried to eat this.
1: Um, my husband can't handle any kind of spicy food, and that's that's on him.
0: If you ever listen to my other podcast, Proud Meat, so shout out to Proud Meat, um, her husband is the guy that does her amazing theme song.
1: Um, yeah.
0: You know, we're talking about skeet, and how your grandma likes feet, or something like that. I don't even remember how the, my own theme song goes, but...
1: Yeah, Michael doesn't remember how it goes either. It changes every time. It
0: changes every single time. Um so Leonard's is outrageously good. Mhm. Yeah, and this this hoagie is not any different. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, this doesn't disappoint.
0: The sauce is really super sweet. And then it just kicks your ass with heat on the back end of it. Man. What and did you is it a Korean style barbecue sauce? Is that mm-hmm. what this is supposed to be?
1: Wow. It's getting really popular in the culinary world right now. Seriously. See, I don't,
0: that's where you need to come into this right now because I don't know what's popular in the culinary world.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. I just see it a lot on like food shows and things like that. Mm. I watch a lot of like Guy Fieri, so that's where I see it. I
0: never, I had never heard of gochujang sauce until it popped up on their menu. And uh, then Brittany one day, she got the Korean style hoagie, which is what I have. And she came home and was like, you've got to fucking try this. And it was steak the first time you got Mm -hmm. it. So I got chicken this time, and it's way better on chicken. I mean, it's really good. That tells me that, like, that is a fried chicken sandwich would probably be
1: really good. Stellar. Yeah.
0: All you're hearing right now is us eating. Mm -hmm. It's probably bad radio. In between the eating, which I want to do more of, we're going to talk about Leonard's Grill just a little bit. So, we first found them when they very first opened. Um, again, they're in a really tiny town called Grafton. You're going to have to make an attempt to actually go there for it. Um, it While is you're not, there,
1: look for the Grafton Monster. The obviously. Grafton Monster
0: is also from there. We also have a couple murders there, which we are going to talk about one eventually. Uh, not today. But, Leonard's is located on 238 West Main Street in Grafton, West Virginia. They are open... <laughs> 11 a.m. to 8.30 every day except for Monday They're closed on Monday Um, They're awesome So we found them, like, the first week they opened, probably Brittany, am I wrong on that? Um, Probably the first week they opened We found them and we started going there And it was really fun to watch them go from They were pretty good And then they started getting better And then they just, like, took it way over the top Um, So, yeah, I, I highly recommend it, man So what do you think of yours?
1: It's, it's amazing. I, I love everything that I've tried from there. I've only had a couple of things, but when you said you wanted to do them for the um. podcast as the first restaurant, I was all about it. All right,
0: we're going to pause for a second and eat, and then when we get back, I have got a story for everybody that I think is going to, I don't know. I can't wait. I just can't wait. I'm like a fucking kid right now, if you can see my face. So, yeah, that was fucking awesome. So, by the way, I want to point out that I didn't even know it until Brittany pointed it out to me. The hoagie that I just now had, the cheese on it, I thought it was like mozzarella or something, but it's not. It's like runny, like mac and cheese, like beer cheese type of type of cheese. It's really fucking good. So um, shout out to Leonard's one more time. Um, again, they're in Grafton, West Virginia, two thirty eight West Main Street, Grafton. They're super easy to find. You just go right downtown, and again, their hours are eleven a.m. to seven thirty p.m. Um, on Sunday, 11 a.m. to 8.30 um, every other day of the week, but they're closed on Monday. They're so. definitely
1: closed on Monday.
0: They definitely are closed on Monday. So, he just um,
1: caterings that day.
0: Yeah, he really does. You, had, you got a whole catering from him one day. I did. Lucky you. And we didn't get invited to it. I was upset. Oh, we also have a cookie from them. We'll save that for dessert um, after the murder. Because this is some crazy shit. All right, so before we get into this, because the way we're going to do this, every now and again, um, Kelsey is going to come to the table with a murder. She's not going to tell me what it is. Or a murderer, um, a serial killer, whatever it is. Um, Every now and again, I'm going to come to the table with one. Um, And today, for our inaugural episode, I brought one to the table that I can't wait to talk about. But before we get to it, there's something else I want to try on this podcast. I want you to guess the movie. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a basic plot and I want someone here to try to guess the movie. Are we cool with that? It takes place at a camp in Oklahoma. All right. Camp in Oklahoma. There are so basically the campers arrive like you see in every other slasher movie, right? Mhm. And the killer is like watching them. Right, he's watching them like from the woodline. We get to see from his perspective as like the campers are all going to their their cabins and all that stuff. Um, and then that night, a thunderstorm moves in, and all the campers are stuck in their cabin. And he starts to kind of come into their cabins and pick them off one by one. Does anyone know what movie that is?
1: We all know I'm terrible at this. So all I got Friday the Thirteenth.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's not a movie. It's what we're about to talk about. Oh, shit. It's what we're about to talk about. I could not believe this when I found it. Um, This happened in 1977. Mm -hmm. So a couple years before the camp slasher craze started with Friday the 13th. This happened. Now, I can't find anything online or in any documentaries I could find about this that tell me that they base Friday the 13th on this, but let's all just kind of say out loud that that's what it sounds like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So what we're going to talk about specifically are the Camp Scott Murders, also known um, by other people as the Girl Scout
1: Murders. So you're going to love this. I just listened to a different podcast about this last week.
0: Okay, cool. How much did they talk about it?
1: A lot.
0: Okay. So you'll probably know a lot that's about to come, um, which is cool, which is cool, but this is some crazy shit. I can't, I can't believe you didn't pick it out from uh, my description. Yeah.
1: So I almost <laughs> said something. Almost and I was like, no, it. he's, he's no talking way he's about doing a movie. That,
0: right? No fucking <laughs> way he's going to do that to me. All right. So yeah, this is, this is one that... Um, I saw some coverage of, from, like, here and there, but I didn't see a lot of it. Um, so, you listened to a podcast last week, you said, that had, that talked about it. This mm-hmm. is this is crazy, if you haven't heard about this. And I'm going to say, right now, this is a cold case. And um, you can, I believe, what I read online is the Sheriff's Department of Mays County, Oklahoma, still has rewards mm-hmm. and, like, tip lines and stuff open about this. So if you ever listened to, to one like this and it's about a cold case, do us all a favor. If anything like snaps in your head and you recall anything um, that anyone ever said to you, that a relative ever said, something weird that happened and you were from that area or know someone from that area, reach out and let them know. Like don't hide it like because this is a heinous fucking crime. You know that for a fact. if yeah. you listen to that.
1: Britt, can you put something in um, in the description? where they can contact the Mm -hmm. sheriff's department and stuff too. Awesome. I was going to say the same thing.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about it. I'll do a basic overview of it, but then I'm going to go through a, um, I was able to find basically a timeline of everything that happened. And I pieced it together off of a few different resources that I found. Um, So the night of June 12th, Um, of 1977 there was a huge thunderstorm the campers had literally just shown up that day they bust in somewhere between 120 and 140 from everything i can find there's like a lot of conflicting information um they bust them in and they just had a pretty normal first day right they took their stuff to their their tents so the way this camp was set up they had different areas that were named after different native american tribes um They were in the, so the three girls in question, and when I say girls, I mean eight, nine, and ten-year-old girls. Mm -hmm. Um, They were very, very young. They were given the Kiowa camping spot, and there are disputes about whether it was tent seven or tent eight, but there's no dispute about where
1: it was. Right, but the location was a little bit off.
0: Yep. It was a little yeah. bit off kind of the beaten path and it looked just like this, by the way. I don't know if you looked it up afterwards. I didn't. This is, so I'm showing her a picture and I'll have Brittany share a diagram um, on one of our social media pages before you listen to this. So this is the diagram. Over here is the counselor, Is this is the counselor's tent. So there mm-hmm. was a counselor in every area. So they were in the Kiowa area and basically all the tents were set up in like a crescent moon shape. Um, like a crescent moon shape. Um, tent one was right beside the, was on the, I guess the bottom of the crescent moon is what you could say. Mm -hmm. Tent one was right beside them, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven would have been all the way on the other side of the crescent moon. Gotcha. And what's really crazy about it is seven is where the girls were Mm
1: -hmm. and it was
0: the only one that you could not see from the counselor's tent because it was obstructed by the shower. Okay. So here's your line of sight. Right here. The shower was right in the way. Um, So the three girls were in tent seven. All right. And we'll go more into what that means here in just a second. But, um, so the girls show up. They take all the campers to their tents. um, uh, This is some crazy stuff. They take all the campers to their tents. They drop everything off. um, And they send them to go get dinner. So everybody goes and gets dinner. All that stuff. um, And they come back to their tents and they tell them to kind of stay there because they're expecting a huge thunderstorm. Right. So the girls kind of get into the tent. um, And the next morning around 6am, the counselor who would be staying in the tent that I just now showed you Mm -hmm. went for a morning jog. Some people say, some people say she was going to the shower, but she found the bodies. I'll get into more about how she found them later on. Um, And all three of these girls were dead. Um, So, that's the basic idea of, of what happened here. We'll get into who they thought did it, who they still think did it, all that good stuff here in a while, but this is a real story, and it feels like, it, it literally feels like it comes right out of a slasher movie to me. Um, it's really, really wild. So, did they go over all of that in the podcast you listened to? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, did they go over what happened two months before that? They
1: did. Holy but shit. I can't wait to hear you tell me about yeah. it.
0: Yeah, okay. So... That's what happened uh, between the 12th and the 13th. Some people think it happened while it was still the 12th. Some people think it happened really early in the morning on the 13th. Um, There's some craziness to this one, Uh, but basically two months before this happened, they had some counselor, some counselors, sorry, at this Girl Scout camp in Oklahoma, learning how to be camp counselors, right? It was a get together to learn how to, how to be a counselor at this camp. Um, During that time, one of the counselors was away from her tent and she returned to find her tent completely ransacked and a couple things stolen. And she had a box of donuts and someone had stolen all of the donuts and left a note threatening to kill three campers. So, again... This reads a lot like a slasher movie, a lot like an episode of a, a season of American Horror Story, something like that, but it's absolutely real. And I can't believe I've never heard anyone who wrote one of those tell me that they were inspired by this true story. But again, I think I don't, I'd be
1: embarrassed. I think you like, would be too. I saw yeah. like something horrible. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know what? That would make just a stellar movie.
0: Yeah. So that print. So what I just now told you about, finding that note. Um, They dismissed it as a prank, didn't bother to tell the parents that it happened, didn't bother to tell anyone up the chain that it happened. They just said, oh, it's a prank, and they dismissed it. Now, another thing that people often miss out on, because they only think about that note that literally said, I'm going to kill three campers, um, they also found a fake body hanging in the trees at the camp.
1: It's see that part I didn't know.
0: Yeah, they also found a fake body hanging in the trees at the camp, and never reported it to anybody. Um, so yeah, this is um, this is a wild story, and we are going to get into the whole thing here in just one minute. Before we do, uh, because we do not know the name of the killer here, um, which is is very sad once you figure out what this is all about um i am going to give the names of the victims really quick um that way we know who we're talking about as we go through it um the first is Lori lee farmer she was eight years old which is shocking um michelle heather ghost uh who was nine i think i said her last name right spelled g-u-s-e and then finally uh she was nine doris uh denise milner who was 10 years old and she is likely the saddest part of the story um and we'll get into why again as we continue through this so yeah all right so i figured what we could do (laughs) because i literally have six pages of a timeline right in front of me and i'm going to walk through the whole timeline of the murder. Um, and we're just going to, we'll talk about each one. So let's start with the obvious, which I know I just talked about, but let's get into more detail about it. The letter that was sent, that, that was found two months prior. Um, what it actually said, because a lot of what I read, <laughs> a lot of what I see, um, just says it was a letter threatening to kill three campers. It was actually a little more than that. Um, the letter said, quote, we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one, is what it said. Now, this is according to several sources. I don't know if that's real or not. Um, I tried to vet that out a little bit, but they claimed that specifically it said we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. A fake body was also found hanging on the property, and these were both disregarded as a prank because the letter also mentioned Martians. Um, I can't find the full letter, but apparently um, it also made mention of Martians or spacemen or something like that. So they were just like...
1: Because someone having a psychotic break just definitely wouldn't write wouldn't about both of right? Wouldn't
0: yeah. do that, right? Wouldn't do that um so yeah they completely dismissed it not only that the operators of the specific camp never told the parents about the incident um, again because they thought that it was a uh, it was a prank they didn't even bother to remove tent one that they thought they were actually talking about uh, they didn't bother to change the tent names they didn't bother to do anything they never closed it um, they never closed it so so
1: who who knew about it was it just the counselors that were training was it the people who owned the camp?
0: So this is something that I've that I tried to find out exactly who found out about it. So my understanding from the counselor that found it, they took it to the people who were operating the camp. Okay. I don't from what I could see, I don't believe they took it anywhere above that. Um, because the camp was run by Magic Empire Girl Scouts Council um, out of Oklahoma. So it was actually run by a big like Oklahoma chapter of the Girl Scouts. And okay. my understanding is is later on, the families of Denise uh, Milner and, or sorry, Doris Milner and one of the other girls actually sued them for five million dollars and lost because um, they said that after looking into it, the council would have had no way of knowing that this was even a possibility. So that it's
1: kind not like of, they had a written letter or anything.
0: That kind of point. What I'm thinking is that that feels like it points to there were some individuals who didn't take it where it needed to go. Mm -hmm. does that make sense that's what i was thinking when i read that because i'm like how would you not find them because there was a letter that said we're going to i'm going to do this and then when i get into what happened that night you're also going to be like how the fuck did this not get caught because it's crazy um it's just uh, it's it's a total lack of responsibility um just just crazy so yeah they were sued for five million dollars and Yeah, they lost.
1: You said this Um, was the 70s, right? Yeah,
0: 1977. Not only that, not only that, Doris Denise Milner was one of very few African-American girls at this camp. And when you find out that she was the focal point of what happened to these three girls, that makes you think something completely different, too. Yeah, I know. That's where this one gets dark for me. That's where I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know about this, because... When I get into it, you're going to see what I'm talking about. So, again, now we, what we've talked about is two months before it happened. Okay. So, the day the campers showed up, they actually meant to put four girls in tent seven. Right. One there was, was yeah.
1: one was from another camp, um, mm-hmm. group of Girl Scouts. She wasn't part yep. of their group.
0: Yep, and what happened is she was accidentally placed into the wrong tent, which was not the tent that ended up being attacked by this unknown person. Mm-hmm. So they were actually going to move her into tent number seven, um, but decided not to. They decided to wait until after the thunderstorm had cleared and just move mm-hmm. her the next day. So this girl was literally saved by the fact that there was a thunderstorm, or she would have also been in the tent. And there would have been four victims. So definitely something to uh, to think about. So again, looking at this diagram right here, I want to point out something. And again, I'm going to have Brittany share a better diagram than this. This is literally what I just kind of drew up looking at something that I saw. Um, this distance is about 100 yards. So the distance, okay. as we said before, imagine a crescent moon. At the bottom of the crescent moon, at that tip at the bottom, is the counselor's tent. At the top of the crescent moon, at that tip up there, um, would be... Um, tent number seven, Mm -hmm. which is where this happened. There's a shower right in the line of sight of that tent. Um, and it would have been about a hundred yards. So imagine you're standing on a football field. One end zone is the counselor's tent. The other end zone is tent number seven. So there you go. Um, just so if people are listening, um, and they want to know, and imagine there's a big shower right in the way. So you can't see what's going on on the other side. That's really important to me because the counselor is Carla Wilhite who comes into play big time here in a second. Um, okay. So keep that in mind. And also, people said it was so brushy that even without the shower there, it might have been impossible to see it. Apparently, right. it was out in the woods, so it was super brushy. Um, so the tent in question, again, 100 yards away from the town with the counselor sent and could not be seen. Um, on the evening of 6-12, the girls in tent 7 wrote letters home. So they actually found these letters in the tent. Did the other podcast go into yeah, this? Yeah, it did. Yeah, hurts already. Um, yeah, it, it's really sad. Um, the first two girls, Lori and Michelle, actually wrote really nice letters home um, and were kind of just happy to be there. And you could tell that they were making quick friends. Denise, on the other hand, again, who is the girl of African-American descent, um, wrote, I don't like camp. Um, it is awful and I don't want to stay for two weeks. So that's what she wrote. And the letter went on to say, like, can I come home? I just want to be with my brother and sister or something like that. I don't Um, know if
1: you got into this at all in your research. I'm sure you did. But um, she didn't want to go to start with.
0: I did not see that. Fill me in, please. Okay,
1: so she, she was one of those girls who kind of flaked out when it came to things. She was really close with her mom, and she didn't like going and like staying the night and other girls houses and things like that. And so she had come to her mom and she said, mom, I want to go to this. All my friends are going to, this This is something that we're all doing. And, um, her mom initially said no. Mm -hmm. So she begged to go. Finally, finally her mom relented, said, yeah, this is, this is fine. We'll, we'll do it. Whatever. The day of, she had changed her mind and her mom made a deal with her. And I'm just, I haven't done research on this in a a hot minute, Mm -hmm. but my understanding is her mom made her a deal and said, well, why don't you just go ahead? You spend the first night and we'll see how it goes. And if you don't want to stay, you don't have to stay.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So that explains the letter. I did not see that part. I'm going to be honest. I was much more fixated on the night that it happened. So that's really what I've broken down here. So that's a lot of really good information. Um. So, yeah. The other thing, too, the counselors who were around her said that she was extremely apprehensive from the time she Mm -hmm. got off the bus. Um. Until she went to her tent for the night. She, right. she just seemed distant. She didn't want to be there. Um, and what you're telling me, that makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense. Um, all right. So we are going to continue um, and, uh, and get into this. Because now, so here, here's your timeline. The girls arrived. They went to dinner. They went back to their tent. They wrote letters home. Um, now let's flash forward to one thirty in the morning. And Carla Wilhite, which is mm-hmm. the, the ultimate, um, yeah, I don't know how she lives with herself after what I'm about to say, because you probably know what I'm going into right now. So Carla Wilhite, the counselor, later stated um, during, I believe it was a deposition, it may have just been talking to detectives, but she later stated that she had been out walking, um, I'm assuming she was out checking on the tents and stuff like that, around 1.30 a.m., um on the morning of the June of June the thirteenth, so um, the next day, right the next mm-hmm. morning, and as she was walking, she stopped in her tracks because she heard a loud audible guttural moaning sound. Um, she heard something that just sounded not right in the woods. Um, she overheard these noises um, at a cross section of trails leading towards the showers. She looked with her flashlight and didn't see anything. And decided not to tell anyone what she heard. And when she was asked why, she didn't tell anyone what she heard. Apparently, she was a college girl who was working there on her summer break. um, And didn't want people to think that she couldn't do the job. So, she decided, I looked around. I didn't see anything. So, I don't have to say anything to anyone. And she just kind of went on about her business. So there you go. Um, she later stated that the choice haunts her still, um, and I'm sure it does. Um, other people in the camp also reported seeing a dim light bobbing through the woods. Um, they also reported grunting and moaning sounds around the same time. So they saw light that was dim, um, kind of bobbing through the woods. Some people state, some people say it was close to tent seven, but. I didn't find any corroborating evidence for that anywhere, right. so I'm going to say that some people claim that, but I never saw anything around it. But it'd um, be like
1: a lantern or a flashlight. Yeah, it would
0: be or... a lantern or a flashlight. Like you've, if you've ever been, you know, camping or been outside at night and seen a flashlight in the distance bobbing around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was all around one thirty. Around two a.m., the girls in tent six, so right beside tent seven, um, recalled that the tent <laughs> flap opened. And someone with a flashlight was standing in the entryway. The person watched them for a second before closing the flap and walking away. And this was not reported. Um, The girl who saw it happen thought, I don't know who that was, but it was probably a counselor checking in on me. But somebody opened the flap, shined a light in, right in in her face. She was the only one open. And then closed it after staring at him for a while and walked
1: away. So... I have a question. Yeah. The, you said the tents were supposed to have four girls in them, right? Correct. They all had four cots, is is my understanding. Okay, cool. So do we think, like, maybe he opened this tent and saw four people and went, no, not today?
0: I don't know. I mean, it's it's really odd that the letter that they found said, "I'm going to kill three girls," yes. and he happened to find a tent that had three girls in it. Like may, maybe this per and I say he because there's evidence that it was a male. By the way, in case anyone's mm-hmm. wondering why I keep saying he, yeah, um, we'll get there to is that. there's really good evidence that it, it is a male um, who perpetrated this crime. But um, yeah, the other thing that gets me about this is the 2 a.m. thing. So, remember Carla Wilhite? Right. She said that that happened around 1 30. Mm-hmm. Um. So, did he commit the crime and then decide he was going to go look for more girls? Because that would have been after uh, that. That would have been about 30 minutes after. Unless, again, it was right around the same time and maybe they just got the times mixed up. Mm-hmm. That part stood out to me when I was doing that. But right. you're, maybe you're right. Maybe he opened it up and said, no, there's four girls here. That's there's a chance someone could get away or something like that. And
1: Well, I mean, he was talking about Martians, assuming the letter was his. Yeah. Allegedly, he was Mm -hmm. talking about Martians and things, and I'm going to do this to three people. What if this is something where he looked at it and went, okay, there's four people in here, I'm not doing this, moved on and found one that happened to have three. Like, is this one of those things that just literally needed all of the exact right things to, to fall into
0: place. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So that is all happening between one thirty and, and, and two. And you would have to think because apparently, and I, I didn't get a chance to watch these again. I was more fixated on what happened that night because when mm-hmm. I heard this stuff about Carla Wilhite, I was immediately like, man, how did she let this happen? Um, and I'll get more into that here in just a minute, which I'm sure you've already heard. There's a little more to the whole reporting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, So, again, you'd have to think, and apparently there are interviews somewhere with some of the girls from the camp, and I wonder if they interviewed the ones in in Tent 6, because you would have to think there's a lot of, like, survivor's guilt with something like that, because this was a a rough crime.
1: The girl that was supposed to um, actually be in their tent Mm -hmm. has massive amounts of survivor's guilt. She, um, she... Thinks that she should have been there too. Maybe oh, it wouldn't wow. have happened. Something yeah. like that. And like yeah. you
0: said, I mean, she probably thinks about the story from the girls in tent six and thought, what if I was there? He might not have done anything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, Alright, so then we move to the time between 2.30 and 3.00. This was a really interesting one for me, um, and I'll, I'll get to why here in a little bit. Between 2.30 and 3.00 a.m., a nearby landowner reports that there is an odd amount of vehicle traffic on a road that nobody ever uses. So he reports that between two and three a m there's vehicle traffic on this road that even in the middle of the day on a regular weekday, nobody uses and the middle of the night between two thirty and three a m there's an odd amount of vehicle traffic on this road
1: what's he doing at two thirty three a m to notice that
0: I would assume that because you got to think like the area that it 's in in Mays county, I looked up a lot of it mm-hmm. it's extremely rural. And you would have to think, I think if if you're not used to hearing cars all around you, it might actually wake you up. And you might be like, who the hell is coming up and down my road? And why are they doing it? Uh, um, yeah, you know true. what I mean? Because it's right by the farm. So like any noise like that would probably wake their dog up. It would probably stir mm-hmm. their livestock. And they would probably get up and notice it. Um, I didn't see anything else about that. But I've got some <laughs> thoughts um, behind that, which we'll get to when we talk about who was who was the number one suspect, um, suspect right? because that gets a little bit hectic. Um, and again, I, I'll get to it in a minute because there's something <laughs> I got with that one. So at 3 a.m., shortly after that, um, a camper in the Cherokee area reported a scream. She woke up another girl, and they listened but never heard another scream. So here's the deal. These noises were reported. And nobody ever did anything about it. The counselors dismissed it as it's the first night of camp. The girls are excited. They're not wanting to go to sleep. So they're yelling and playing and doing stuff like that. But also, right at 3 a.m. And this one right here, this gets me. I had a feeling when I got to this one, I'd have trouble. Around 3 a.m., another camper heard screams and then heard someone audibly yell, Mama, Mama. But then... Never reported it. So some of them heard this stuff and reported it. Others heard it and did nothing about it. The ones who did report it were basically told, no, go ahead and go lay back down. It's the first night of camp. People are acting crazy. So that all happened right around 3 a.m. So uh, whatever your thoughts are on that, um, it's not it's not pleasant. Um, so, how long yeah.
1: did he do this?
0: See, that's what I don't understand. because Was he
1: there with them, tormenting them for an hour and a half?
0: So, two of the girls, which I'll get to more of here in just a minute, were, it looks like, killed in their sleep. So, the two who were likely killed in their sleep, from my understanding, would be Lori and Michelle. Um, and, were likely killed in their sleep
1: and then there it was doris
0: doris is the one we'll get to in just a minute because doris's story is much a more lot sadder, sad yeah. um so they were likely killed in their sleep uh the coroner said that they were they died from extreme blunt force trauma to the back of the head um likely laying down back of the head and they found a lot of blood in the tent so they think those two were killed there And Denise was led away, is what happened. Um, Do you
1: think the noise is what woke her?
0: I don't know. I I just don't know. Um, Because my other question is, if they could hear someone, you know, hear other campers playing around in some of the other tents, how did the sound of a human skull being crushed twice not wake them up? Because that would be a pretty intense sound, and they said it was multiple blunt force trauma to the back of the head. This would not have been a quiet, easy going crime. Like thump. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm assuming that the scream that somebody probably heard was 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 Doris. Was yeah, Doris. um, Yeah, Doris reacting maybe or something like that. who knows? I mean, who really knows? And that's the whole timeline of what people reported through the night, right there. Um Now, how with you, because... And I'm going to say this too, in Carla Wilhite's defense, she said a couple of times that what she was afraid of is, so I'm going to go to the other counselors and they're going to get pissed off because they're going to have to come out here on a cold night and walk through the woods and get wet and, and, and all that stuff. And then you got weeks of torturing you because of, you were the one that... Yeah. So I'm not going to say I don't understand her, but when... Because listen, I have heard noises like that uh, before and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. And it's been like when I was hunting or something like that. Um, and and it, it it's someone that sticks with you. And I would think that you would go and do something about that. Um, I, I would think. I don't know. Um, because it's not a fun... But also, as someone who's hunted a lot, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, maybe they really did think it's just animals or something like that. right? Well,
1: I mean, like, um, if, what is it? A mountain lion that sounds like a woman screaming? A woman
0: screaming, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. So, yeah, we have a lot more to get to, but that's your that's your timeline of the night. So, at 6 a.m., Carla Wilhite was either jogging or walking to the shower area. That's what I read, but I want to show you something else. So, they claim she was walking or jogging to the shower area. Take a look at this. So, again, here's her tent. Here's the shower. Here's their tent. So,
1: that would have been about 50 yards away, the shower, right? Oh! <laughs>
0: According to the map, the bodies were found (sighs) below her tent. So the shower would have been above her tent. The bodies were found below the tent. And when I'm reading this, I keep thinking, did she not like that shower? Was she going to a different shower? Was she in a different area and was coming back to go to the shower? I I haven't seen enough, enough information about that, but the the story that I'm hearing that she was going to the shower, if someone could explain this, if they hear me talk about this um, in the comments or if you want to email me or something like that um, and give me some detail on this because according to every map I've found, um, again if you're looking at the crescent moon shape right, her tent's at the bottom of the crescent moon and the body was found below that. The shower would be above her tent. So I don't, I'm confused by this.
1: So... She heard the sounds, like the moaning and whatnot, Mm -hmm. in the morning. Correct. All right. So when she jogged to the shower, though, that was like, what, 6 a.m.? 6 a.m. Okay. So here's the thing. If the body was all the way over here, Mm -hmm. that's another, what, assuming that this is roughly the same distance. Roughly the same
0: distance, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's like... Fifty yards away. That's pretty far. That's really far. So she wouldn't have seen these bodies. Yeah, exactly. at all like, going to the shower.
0: I don't know what she was. What she would have been doing because. So by, by the way, I'm going to have Brittany share this too. I'm going to actually show you a map so you can get a better idea of this, and you'll see that like you know what I did was was relatively accurate. Okay, so yeah. here is Carla's tent right over here. Okay, up here is tent seven, and right down here is where the bodies are found, below the tent. But every story that I hear says she was going to the showers. Now, was she out on a morning jog and had made a circle or something like that? So,
1: I did hear that there were pieces, like, of clothing and things found first, almost like a trail. See, I didn't hear that part. Okay. Okay. So, assuming that I'm remembering it correctly, because it's just a podcast I listen to while I'm driving and not really focusing on. Um, if that's, if she did find pieces, like she found like a sock or- Maybe a, she followed whatever. it? Yeah. It might've yeah. been like a cookie crumb kind of trail yeah, I, I never the scariest, nastiest thing you've ever found.
0: Everything that I read and everything that I watched and listened to made it sound like she was simply out on a morning jog and noticed three- um, sleeping bags sitting under a tree. Oh. And she thought that it was some campers had left their stuff laying there when they got off the bus. She walked over and found the body of Doris because she was only partially in her sleeping bag. The other two were completely zipped up beds. Um So I did not read anything about clothing being found on the way to that the body. That might bodies. be what I was
1: thinking of. I'm probably wrong. But all of the bodies, were they they were all just located in the same spot.
0: Yeah. They were all located on the same spot. Um, That's my understanding.
1: Final question. Is it the same tree? They found a body, a fake body hanging in
0: that? I don't know. I thought the same thing. And I was like, is this the, I would think, so here's my deal. Um, I know that when they're doing a murder investigation, they try to not release every bit of information right. because they want something where if somebody does come forward and admits to doing it, they can ask them to prove that it was them.
1: Yeah. With the I'm details assuming that they didn't
0: release. the location where that body was hanging, where the fake body was hanging might be one of those things that they're still kind of holding mm-hmm. on to. Because again, this is an open case. They have kind of kind of dropped crumbs of information to help people try to figure out who it is Um, but I never saw where it was and I'm sure somebody's figured that out but I don't know so again at 6am Carla Wilhite was jogging along a path toward the same cross section where she had heard the noise the night before that's what she claims it was the same cross section where she had heard the noise before she spotted three sleeping bags um, under a tree She thought it was luggage, but when she saw the body of 10-year-old Doris Denise Milner, um, she screamed, alerting other counselors, and a crowd gathered by. Um, Doris was, again, very visible. Um, She was beaten, bound, and partially nude when they found her. Um, So, again, you're talking about just an absolutely intense, intense, intense crime. Um, I mean, there's... It, it's absolutely crazy. The coroner showed up shortly after and opened the other two sleeping bags. They did not open them. Um, they thought that it was one body. When the coroner showed up, he opened the other two sleeping bags um, and he found um, the other two. So the other two bodies of Lori and Michelle uh, were found. Um, they were both bound using elastic bands um and were found in fetal positions wrapped in bloody bed sheets which is another indication that it happened while they were asleep uh while they were laying in there Uh, both girls had blunt force trauma like i said before to the back of the head likely while they were sleeping denise um had likely been led away and showed signs of assault we'll just leave it at that um she was beaten badly and the indents on her head were so intense that the murder weapon actually left um, indents. So they could tell... they could What
1: the murder weapon... Well, basically what was. the murder
0: weapon was. Yeah, that's how intense this was. Now, I never saw anything about what they think the murder weapon was or anything like that. It's probably another um, one of those
1: things they're keeping. I would assume so. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would assume so. So again, the, uh, oh, the information on this one, guys, it is not fun it really is not um this is not one of those bubbly murders you can talk about and enjoy yourself uh this is one of those ones that just leaves you uh uh,
1: feel dark
0: yeah leaves you leaves you with a lot to think about because this one is this one shocks me that it's still an open case that they never found out who did it and i have theories about why they never found out who did it um, so they found the three bodies under the tree. Um, the first person identified uh, was Doris. Um, the other two were identified once the coroner showed up. Um, there was blood found on the floor of the tent. Uh, detectives believe this was due to the girls being attacked while still in the tent. Um, a flashlight, and this is a really important one, a flashlight was found um, at the site, so at the scene. Um, a single fingerprint was found on the lens of the flashlight. Um, it was captured... But has never been matched to anybody in any database. They've never matched it to anyone. They did capture the fingerprint. They have no clue who it belongs to. And then the other part that is a dead giveaway for it is a he that we're dealing with. A footprint was found in the blood that was found on the floor of the tent. And it was made by a male size nine and a half shoe. Um, I have not seen anything about what kind of shoe it was, whether it was a sneaker, a boot. I I don't know. Uh, But they did find a shoe print in the blood. Uh, They also found uh, rope, duct tape, and a single long black hair. That's what they found at the scene.
1: Okay. That's that's a lot, actually.
0: A shocking amount. Um, today...
1: To, to have it be a cold case. That's, today,
0: they probably wouldn't have been able to figure this out um because the forensics and things like that because apparently they also found DNA in one of the tents that they don't believe belonged to the girl they didn't tell me how they found the DNA or what the DNA was uh they attempted to analyze that in 2008 uh, but it came back inconclusive oh. yeah
1: that's a shame they're I using know. a lot of really cool um like genealogy websites and things to find people now but yep. if they've already used it they can't reuse that sample
0: exactly so um let's go through the rest of this real quick uh, because this is where it starts to get even this is where it gets interesting to me um, the parents were called uh, the parents of the children were all called and told to pick up their children Uh, Not the children who died. I'm assuming they called them.
1: They called all of the parents. So they
0: called all of the parents and told them to come to the Magic Empire building, which would have been, I believe they said in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and pick up their children. Well, the parents all panicked and came straight to the camp where they found no entry allowed. And there was a mile long line of cars. Um, outside of the camp,
1: wasn't trying this, to get their children. Sorry, wasn't this already on the news? So they knew something had happened. They
0: knew something had happened. They had not released what it was yet, apparently. Right. And I don't know how quickly it made it to the papers or anything like that. Um, but this would have been on the 13th. All this is happening, by the way. All of this happened on the 13th. Um, the campers were not told what had happened. Um, they were sent to play games. Um, and then they were loaded onto buses, many without even getting their luggage... And sent back to Tulsa, where their parents were allowed to pick them up, and Camp Scott would never open again. Um, the remnants of the camp are still there. I've actually found YouTube videos of people going to the camp. It is still there. You can walk through the camp, but it's all overgrown. Um, a lot of the, like the Grand Hall that was there, burnt down. Um, it is still there, though. Um, you can still visit it. Uh, so they would never open again.
1: This is just. I know that you like just looked into the facts of the murder, but mm-hmm. think about being one of those parents. Oh, it would. You don't. Yeah, you're just standing there waiting, hoping your kid gets off the bus. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the girls had um, she she had left something like on the bus, so she took an extra long time. Um, and her when she got out, her, her parent that had come to pick her up was sobbing wow. because they were like, "My my child hasn't gotten off the bus." <sighs> My child, my Man. my daughter was involved in this, and she came out, and she's just like, mom. What, what's going on? I don't understand. Yeah, and that's I, that's heart wrenching for know. me. <laughs> I,
0: I am, at, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I sitting here even,
1: holding my baby, and like, like
0: I just have nieces and nephews, and like my and and like my heart drops even thinking about it because I would just I would I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to think. I would just be dying inside. Um, so <clears throat> the camp was cleared, um, and the investigation started. Um, and the authorities pointed out that the killer tried to clean up the blood and smeared it everywhere. So apparently the killer did try to clean up. And that's a really weird like to me I would think that's a psychological thing that would that someone would want to look into. Like you you're going to leave the bodies out in the open where they can be found. Um
1: that's the thing though. He he wrapped yeah. them up. Yeah. He wrapped them up and posed them. That's Generally, a sign of remorse.
0: Wow. So yeah, maybe, maybe, um, yeah. So he tried to clean up the blood, and he smeared it everywhere. Um, so the first. So now we're going to get into the suspects. So there have only ever been two suspects that have been talked about in public that I can find. Right. The first one is Jack Schroff. Um, he owned a ranch nearby, so the police went there um, and they found black duct tape and rope that was extremely similar to what was used, um, if not exactly the same, according to some reports. Um, they did question him, and he claimed his house had been broken into. Um, I don't know if he reported the break-in or not, which I don't understand I mean, why he would just... wouldn't.
1: Why would you if it was just duct tape no and rope?
0: Well he and he did say in one thing that I read, apparently he claimed he doesn't really he didn't really know what had been taken. So when they pointed out the duct tape and the rope, he might have been like, Yeah, I had a bunch of that and they and that must be what they took. Right. Um so there you go. So maybe that's why. Um he did pass a polygraph and according to them had a solid alibi and he was cleared rather quickly. So then we get into Gene Leroy Scott. And this is where things get super, super interesting.
1: Something I want to point out real quick. Yeah. Just because um, you didn't mention it and it's something yeah, go for I heard. It. Um, and it ties back into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the counselors, their glasses had been stolen.
0: And the cave. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We'll get to that in just one second. Yeah. Good call. I had no clue. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you listened to the other podcast. Apparently they looked into some other stuff that I just was not aware of. Um, very cool. Awesome. We'll get to that in just one second because those Sorry. glasses. No, that's a, that's <laughs> really good. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to get to the cave mm-hmm. um, here in just a minute. I'll explain what I mean. Um, and the glasses come into to play big time there. They do. Did they ever figure out? Did, we'll get to it when I talk about the cave. <laughs> Um, because now I'm like, oh shit, okay. Um so Gene Leroy Scott was a local Cherokee man and was the next suspect. So he had been at large for four years at the mm-hmm. time the murder happened. So he was in prison um in a Mays County prison um for for a couple of years, had escaped. He was in there because he had raped two women and and had been uh found guilty of four counts of burglary as well. Um, so he was on the large he was he was at large. He was on he was kind of in the wind. But he did come from that area, mm-hmm. and he would have known that area really well. So there was nothing tying him to the crime. But as soon as they cleared Jack Schroff, the sheriff there in uh there in the, the little town in Oklahoma, I can't remember the name of it, um, right outside of where the camp was, said he was, quote, 1,000% percent sure that Gene Leroy Scott had committed the crime. With no evidence or anything like that, just the fact that he had been found guilty of, of two counts of rape, which is obviously serious, um, and four counts of burglary, said he was 1,000% sure that Gene Leroy Scott had committed this crime.
1: I'm sure in the 70s that had absolutely nothing to do with racism at all. Of course it didn't. Come on, (laughs) what are you talking about?
0: Um, (laughs) Of course. No way. Um, All right. So hunters later on found evidence that he was living in a nearby cave or that someone. Was living in a nearby cave. Um, in the cave, they found women's glasses, which mm-hmm. ties it back to the counselor. Did the counselor ever confirm whether the glasses were hers or not? Because they have pictures of the glasses.
1: So did I, they say that? I don't know. They, I they didn't say anything specifically about that. But <laughs> it was it was something where um, he had been trying on like different pairs of glasses okay. or something like that. And I don't know, maybe he just really needed to see.
0: Maybe, he was maybe doing. that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they found the glasses. They found pages from a Tulsa newspaper. Um, and this ended up being a really big piece of evidence because they also found pieces of that newspaper um, folded up and put in the battery compartment of the flashlight that was found at the scene. And they think it was put in there to keep the batteries from jiggling around. It was like made to like pad the batteries a little mm-hmm. bit, but it was the same newspaper. That was found in the flashlight. It was really weird. Um, And they also found photos that had been developed by Gene Leroy Scott while he was a prisoner. He worked in some photo lab while he was a prisoner, Mm -hmm. and he had developed those pictures. Those pictures will come into play here in just a second okay um because i want to talk about those and i also want to talk about the flashlight thing again so again let's go over what they found women's glasses which ties it back to the counselor Right. they found pages from a tulsa newspaper um which they also found the same tulsa newspaper in the battery compartment of the flashlight that was found at the scene and photos that had been developed by um gene leroy scott while he was a prisoner okay so now let's get into the note do you remember the note Mm -mm. All right, so there was a note found on the wall of the cave that said 77-6-17, so June 17th, 1977, the real killer was here. Bye-bye, Fools. Painted on the wall of the cave. What? Yep. Um, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. They find a note... Painted on the wall of the cave, or scratched into the wall, I can't remember how it was done, that says 77-6-17, the ki- the real killer was here, bye-bye fools, on the wall of the cave. So, um, that's what they found in the cave. Now, this gets interesting here in just a second, and I'm going to get into why, uh, because this takes a turn. Um, Heart was found one year later at a friend's house named Pigeon. And he was arrested at Pigeon's house, who was also a local Native American. Mm -hmm. They searched the house the first time and uncovered absolutely nothing that would tie him to the crime. The police returned, searched the house a second time, and found items that had been stolen from the counselor. The one that happened a couple months before the murder. Wow. So the first time they searched the house, they found absolutely nothing. The second time they search the house, they find evidence of the items that were stolen from the counselor. Pigeon claims those items were never in his house, and if they were there, they were put there by the police. Later on, people who apparently are pretty trustworthy also say that those photos found in the cave were sitting in the desk drawer of the local sheriff for months before they were found in that cave. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Now that's according to them. That's according to some things I found online. Um, And I I found a couple different people saying the same thing, so I figured we would at least bring that up, um, because that's a little odd. Um, So again... Pigeon, I think that was his name. Hart's friend, who he was staying with, um, claimed that the items were planted. The local sheriff, uh, the local sheriff, also um, was reported to have kept those pictures in the drawer of his desk. Um, and they claim that the uh, that the cave was all planted. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people, claim that because they were like, "There's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't make a whole lot of sense." Um, So, who knows? Who who knows if it's real? Um, The black hair was extremely similar to Hart, but the fingerprint did not match, and the shoe was too small for him. The footprint was too small, and the fingerprint did not match. The hair was similar, but they couldn't match it 100% to him, so Hart was acquitted of all charges. Um, but was sent back to jail to serve out the terms for what he had done previously and for his escape. And he was given, I believe they said, 206 or 306 years in prison in total uh, for the escape, um, for uh, the rape charges and the burglary charges. After two months in jail, he died of a massive heart attack at the age of 35. Again, um, in 2008, the DNA that they found in the um, tent produced no viable suspects, um, it, it gave nothing, um, and again, the Magic Empire Girl Scout Council was sued and found not guilty, and that is everything about this
1: crime. So we have a sheriff who was allegedly trying <clears throat> to frame someone that mm-hmm. he had escaped. Yeah, yeah. I so um, <sighs> what? What balls? To, like you have the murder of three little girls, uh-huh. not even like preteens, not teenagers, yep. not, not women. three little mm-hmm. little girls, and you're like, you know what? Now's my time to shine.
0: Yeah, now's my time to uh, to, and the whole time I'm the whole time I'm listening to this, um, the whole time I'm reading this and listening to stuff about it, I keep on thinking about that sheriff too, and how it sounds to me like he used this as a way to try to like. Get back at somebody or do something like that, and just decided um, that he was going to uh, he was going to try to like he he may have been a hundred percent sure it was him. Uh, all the evidence says it wasn't him. Um, the newspaper and the flashlight is still odd, but the fingerprint didn't match. The shoe in the tent doesn't match. Well, I mean, um,
1: it doesn't make any sense. Nor like that the the newspaper is the only thing we can hinge this on though. Because it was the local newspaper. A lot of people would have... Would have it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I never read anything that said whether or not it was like... Because now, had they been able to like find a piece that was ripped Ripped, and take it out? I don't know if they did that or not. Um, I don't know. But I mean, just saying that you found the same paper. I mean, we live in small towns and you find those papers everywhere.
1: They don't Um, even charge you for those papers in some places. In some places they (laughs) don't.
0: Right. Um, So yeah, it, it just... Because the other thing that needs to be pointed out that I, that I didn't see a lot of people talk about, apparently when the police surrounded um, his friend's house, he was heard calling out, you'll never pin this on me. I know what you're trying to do and you'll never pin this on me. Right. So I, I am afraid that that sheriff had, had su- was on such a streak to like get a hold of this man um, that he let a real killer walk. Um, Now, the other thing that I want to point out that I said I would get back to, because Mm -hmm. this is just too dark for me to even hardly think about, the fact that Doris is the only one that was, from what I can tell, tortured. And she was the only...
1: Definitely no racism, though, in the The only... hmm,
0: Man, you know? Yeah. It makes you think. It makes you think. So, yeah, if you listen to this and, and any of this sounds like you know, hey, I, I had a friend who had mentioned something about this and said something weird about it. Maybe you heard a story from someone who was in prison and had someone who was in prison with them and they were telling stories about this. Um, you know, contact uh, the Sheriff's Department in Mays County. Contact any authorities in Mays County and let them know because this is one that, um, yeah, this one haunts me. And when you said we wanted to do a podcast, I was like, I'm gonna go over some murders and some crazy kooky stuff, but when I saw this one, I was like, "Man, I feel like this is one that needs to be out there more because the more people who hear about this, the more chance they have of actually, you know, finding out who the fuck did this. Because this is this is a this is a crime that is maybe one of the most heinous I've ever heard." Yeah, and again, uh, Britt's ever. going
1: to put the contact information yep, for the Mays County um, <laughs> Police Department in the notes of this podcast.
0: All right, so um, that's all I have, uh, so I guess we'll end it there. Um, Again... Not to bring it back to food, but the food was delicious. It was, and it was from Leonard's Grill, and you should definitely go try it. Sorry to bring you down like that. If you made it all the way to the end, uh, we appreciate you. Um, you know, make sure you like our podcast, follow us anywhere you can find us, uh, which would be on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and anywhere else you find super cool podcasts like this one. Um, go follow us. Like I said, uh, you know, we uh, we want to make more of these to so give us a reason to. And next time, I promise it won't be this, this, this sad. Um, it'll be 10 times more disturbing the next one I do, but it won't be this sad. I won't do another sad one like this for a while. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it and, uh, yeah, stay safe.